You're listening to Commute, the podcast. Congratulations, you'll be smarter when you get there. What up? Welcome into Commute, the podcast. I'm Dave. And I'm Jay. And we are about to take you on a deep dive on three topics that we find interesting, and we're betting that you might just find them interesting, too. We can promise you this, you'll be smarter when you get there. On this edition of Commute, in life, change is inevitable. Except when it came to the cost of a Coca-Cola for, I don't know, like 70 years? Iceland, an isolated nation with a low population, has a dating problem. And it can't be solved by Tinder or Bumble. No, no, the problem facing Iceland's dating pool is very unique, but luckily, there's an app for that. He's been anonymous since the 1990s, but we may soon know his identity because of a pending lawsuit. This week, will we finally find out the true identity of Banksy? All of that on this edition of Commute. Let's get it. Jay, my friend, how are you with change? Like, do you struggle with it? Do you welcome it? Definitely struggle with it. I am a creature of habit in a lot of things, like my job, my life, just my routine. And to upset that and make major changes just really throws me off. It's really hard for me to adapt to a new a new thing, a new environment, or just like a big change to my life. It's really tough. Yeah, well, I think most people probably feel that way and i am such a crazy person when it comes to this topic okay like i love change and i hate it like in school i was the kid who would get really mad at jerk teachers like you when i'd come in one day for school and you'd have moved all the desks around right when i was starting to get comfortable with my spot like what's wrong with you you got to keep people on their toes i mean especially if like so my last name Traub starts with a T. Like if if like the girl I liked, if her name started with a T as well, we were in alphabetical order. Life was great. Then I come in, all of a sudden I'm beside the A's. <laughs> like co- it's just complete madness. But I also struggle with big life changes too, like moving. So I'm not yeah. kidding you. I grieved when we sold our old small house for our current much bigger house. Like I was depressed. But I think it's just it's the memories of the old house. It just made it special. Like I had a hard time transitioning. Also moving is just the biggest pain in the butt thing that you can do. Like in life probably more than anything. Like moving to a new house is just like a colossal thorn in your side. So, you know, that adds up after a while. Yep. It takes a toll on you. Plus, I remember the first night we were in our current house. Uh, like, we had a bunch of friends come over. They helped us move. It was awesome. But everybody had left. We're in this new house. Nothing set up. I don't even think we had power yet for some reason. I don't think I'd set that up. We had camping <laughs> chairs in the living room. There's no TV or anything. The sun's starting to go down, and we're just sitting there. And I looked at my wife, and I said, well, this sucks. <laughs> but, Jay, I also love change in some way. Like, I don't like doing the same thing or routine over and over. I take different routes to work almost every day, believe that, it or not. That's that insane behavior. That's sociopathic uh, behavior. <laughs> no, I, think it's, I think it's normal. It's keeping life interesting. I also take different routes to run errands. So, like, when I come to your house, for example, so we watch Sunday Night Football together a lot, or we just hang out in general, I'll take a different path almost every single time. <laughs> I change my hairstyle, my beard style almost every two months. You know that to be true. I mean, the list just goes on and on of changes like that. But, Jay, for fans of the soft drink Coca-Cola, a.k.a. one of the world's best-selling soda pops, they didn't have to deal with change for a long time. 
Because you see, my friend, from the development of Coke in 1886 until about 70 years later in 1959, the price of Coca-Cola remained unchanged. Jay, as we explore why, we have to start at the beginning. In 1886, Dr. John Stife Pemberton, a pharmacist and former Confederate soldier, produced the first version of the Coca-Cola syrup. The drink was a hit from day one and was quickly offered in mass for five cents per drink. And Jay, at this time, okay, so we're talking 1886 for crying out loud, most other soda drinks were offered for pretty cheap as well, seven or eight cents, but Coke at five cents was marketed at the best affordable beverage option. Well, just over a decade later, in 1899, two lawyers from Tennessee, Benjamin Thomas and Joseph Whitehead, approached then-head of Coke, Asa Candler, who had purchased the company from Pemberton, about buying the bottling rights to the drink. Now, at this time, Jay, soda fountains were the main way that folks drank soda pop. So Candler, thinking bottling would never take off, okay, kind of like Blockbuster and Netflix, sold the bottling rights to the pair of lawyers for just one dollar. Jay, one (laughs) dollar. And better yet, the contract that Candler signed had no expiration date. Incredible. (laughs) And as we now know, Candler was wrong. Bottling did take off. And the non-expiring contract meant that Coke had to sell their syrup for a fixed price. Profits would only be made as more Coke was sold at the five cents per drink rate. Because of this, Coke's marketing efforts were ramped up to help sell more products to help make more money since it couldn't raise the price. In fact, in 1921, when the contract was renegotiated to finally allow a price change, the results had gone so well that Coke held steady at five cents, having already submitted itself to consumers as the best and the cheapest option. Even when vending machines arrived on the scene, Coke held at five cents. In 1950, Coke owned over 85% of all vending machines. And because vending machines were unreliable at making change back then, customers needed to have exact change to get their drink prompting Coke to keep prices at five cents to erase the need for multiple coins to be inserted. And Jay Coke was so committed to the easy one-coin method of payment that it approached the U.S. Treasury in 1953 to ask about making a seven-and-a-half-cent coin because it wanted to raise (laughs) prices. Imagine that. Now, as you can uh, guess, no dice there from the U.S. Treasury. Uh, They must have preferred Pepsi. I'm not sure. They would not make a seven and a half cent coin. But ultimately, Jake, change is inevitable in life, and it is for Coke, too, even if it takes a long time. Despite the long-standing commitment to five-cent drinks, inflation finally caught up to Coke. And I don't know, they probably decided when to make more money. In the early 1950s, Coke stopped marketing itself as the most affordable option, and by 1959, turning into 1960, the last nickel Coke left the shelves, and the brand has never looked back. Well, they don't have an excuse, because Arizona iced tea has been 99 cents for like 30 years, and has no signs of stopping. So, you know, get on get on their level. Like, they've replaced you as the affordable didn't, drink option. Didn't you talk about... a? 
didn't you talk about that on the show? Yeah, it's it's been a while ago, but we did do a segment on Arizona Ice Tea and how essentially they like barely make any money <laughs> because it's like <laughs> charging ninety nine cents for a product is pretty crazy. But they still do it because they have to because it's their thing. It's what people know. It's them like for. the uh, it's like the Costco hot dog, right? Isn't it still a dollar fifty? It is. Yeah. It's oh like yeah. The CEO said oh, he, it's going to be a dollar fifty forever. Oh, it's even more than that. One of the one of his like CFOs or somebody told him that they should raise raise the price, and he's quoted as telling him, "If you ever raise the price of the Costco hot dog, I will literally kill you." <laughs> <laughs> so. <laughs> So Dave, I got married pretty young, and it was several years ago. I was 23, uh, so that's been over a decade now, and you were only a couple years behind me. So I know that I completely missed online dating. It was something that just hadn't gotten off the ground uh, whenever I was getting married, and then you being a couple years behind, I would imagine you didn't get involved in online dating either, right? Yeah, no, yeah, no online So dating. neither of us have been there, but do you know anyone who has experienced online dating to any success or failure? Well, um, when I was in college, I worked as a janitor for a summer. At a uh, at a small university, and my boss there, he so this is this is funny because this isn't really on. It's online dating, but it's unconventional. He met his wife playing Yahoo Pool. Okay, so they <laughs> they just randomly started playing Yahoo Pool and talking to each other, chatting, and he just got lucky that she ended up being a woman, that, uh, somebody who actually wanted to date him and wasn't trying to steal his social security number. Like, so, what are the odds? And they got married and, and they played Yahoo like, Pool astronomical crazy is that well dave we're gonna be talking about iceland dave iceland is a very small country uh in fact the population is under four hundred thousand total people and about two-thirds of the entire population live in or near reykjavik the country's capital so with this small population clustered together in such a small space you can see how you could easily be distantly related to someone without realizing it And for people in Iceland who are looking for a romantic partner or even a spouse, this is clearly a potential problem. And apparently, Dave, this is an actual problem. Icelander Inar Magnusson told USA Today in 2016, quote, Everyone has heard the story of going to a family event and running into a girl you hooked up with some time ago. Now, Dave, what compounds this problem, too, is the unconventional naming convention used in Iceland. Instead of adopting a mother or father's surname like we do in the West, children born in Iceland often add their parents' first names to create their last names. For example, take the case of probably the most famous person from Iceland, musician Björk. Her full name is Björk Gumsdoiter. So Deuter means daughter, and Gumunder is her father. So her name literally is Björk, daughter of Gumunder. And if that wasn't confusing enough, oftentimes Icelanders will adopt the first names of both parents. Take the former mayor of Reykjavik, for example, Dagur Bergporsen. Eggertson, 
translated Dagur, son of Begpora, son of Egert. So while in the U.S., you may be able to meet someone in a bar you're interested in and then realize, oh, you share the last name with that person, you know, I can steer clear. In Iceland, your name really doesn't give someone any information on who they're related to past just the first names of their parents. So to combat this, Dave, a company called Sad Engineers Studios collaborated with the government of Iceland to bring the people an app called Icelandinga app to help the Icelanders determine if their potential romantic partner is actually a distant cousin or maybe an aunt or other long lost relative. The collection of data that the app uses to chart genealogy, it actually goes back more than a thousand years and contains extensive information for more than 720,000 Icelanders. You can type a name to search the app, or it has a feature where two people with the app open can actually bump their phones together for the results. Sad Engineer Studios calls this the incest spoiler with the slogan, bump the app before you bump in bed. In addition to this, the app also lists out popular names, interesting statistics, and it even reminds you of your relative's upcoming birthdays. Sometimes, Dave, unique problems just require unique solutions. Well, Jay, we are uh, children of the 90s, so uh, I was born in the late 80s, and so, and actually, a couple episodes ago, I talked about the movie The Mighty Ducks, how that led to a real team being called The Mighty Ducks launching in Anaheim. So if you've seen The Mighty Ducks, there's three of them. There's The Mighty Ducks, D2, and D3. In D2, The Mighty Ducks play Iceland. So if you are like me and you had a normal millennial-type childhood, you're in your 30s, you watch the Mighty Ducks movies, when you hear Iceland, you just think of the Mighty Ducks. And here's the thing. It's so random that they picked Iceland for the Mighty Ducks movie because at the time of the Mighty Ducks movie, Iceland only had two (laughs) ice rinks total in all of Iceland. Like, they didn't really play hockey. They landed on Iceland because the guys that wrote the movie, apparently... We're watching it. They were trying to figure out, like, okay, what team do we want him to play? And they were watching, like, a daytime soap opera, and somebody was from Iceland. <laughs> so it's funny. Like, you see things, you just accept them. Like, okay, oh, there was a ton of thought that went yeah, into what's, this. Yeah, what's the lower – what has lower chances? Like, that happening, and then that being the team that they play, or meeting your spouse on Yahoo Pool? <laughs> <laughs> I love the villain head coach of Iceland, though. Wolf – the dentist Stanson, like is, is yeah, he's like a oh my he's like a gosh. they they make him like a Viking or something. Yeah, he's got like strong Viking. Oh, energy. what a great nickname, the dentist. <laughs> Have you ever done anything anonymously? Like like you did it on purpose. Like maybe you were, I don't know, you were donating to something or you were commenting on something or maybe you were leaving a review and you just remained anonymous instead of attaching your name. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I had a problem with my washing machine a few years ago and it was under warranty. And so they ended up hooking me up with a company to come out and fix it. And it just became this like absolute nightmare. Like these people would come out and they would just like damage it even more and like wouldn't fix it. And then be like, we'll be back later. And then would just disappear for like a month. And then like, I mean, it was just a whole thing. So I was just getting like so frustrated with them. Right. So I went online, I went anonymously. Okay. I can't tell you the name of the company. 
and I wrote a scathing review. Okay, now it should be said that there were a lot of other scathing reviews. Okay, a lot. Sure, like I was yeah. one of many, and that thing ended up getting like you know how you can thumbs up it on Google reviews. Yeah, my review ended up getting like a hundred thumbs up. Like I'm not even kidding. Like people were just like get them. Like people, were, and I was so drunk with power while I was writing that review. I was like, this is like it felt like I was taking the power back a little bit, you know? Uh, because I, I mean, I, I wrote it out and I probably edited it for like three days before I hit send. Like I was making sure I was like, this has got to burn, you know? Like this has got to just this has got to burn the house down. And uh, yeah, I mean, it got out there. Got a new company, got them in, got the got the dryer fixed, and you know whatever. I think they're out of business. I probably did it. Yeah, I probably, probably put them did. out of business. But they kind of deserved it too. You're sick. There were probably people there who were innocent. <laughs> they had nothing to do with this. But, hey, the reason I ask is because it does, as you've just shown us, it does something to you when you're anonymous. It empowers you. Like mascots will tell you when they put the head on. They just become somebody else. Okay, like they're, they're anonymous. They can do whatever they want. It's like a not. It's like a not serious version of the Milgram experiment, where it's like people are like, you know, like I can convince anyone to electrocute somebody yeah, to exactly. death if it's anonymous. Exactly. It's like I'm going to put this bear head on to do it. <laughs> but Jay, one infamous artist has been doing things anonymously for a long time, but thanks to a recent lawsuit that's currently playing out. That may soon come to an end. We may finally know the identity of the street artist known as Banksy. Jay, for starters, identity aside, who is Banksy? Well, Banksy is a mystery. An anonymous England-based street artist. Active since at least the 1990s, Banksy's art, often aimed at political or social commentary, have appeared on bridges, walls, streets, and lampposts around the world. Banksy has actually given interviews before, believe it or not, face covered and voice changed, of course, the last of which aired in 2003, but has remained in the shadows for a few reasons. One, it's interesting. It's good self-promotion. We're talking about it on commute. But two, and most importantly, according to Banksy, he remains anonymous because his type of art, graffiti, is illegal. But LJ, the law may have finally caught up with him and may lead to a figurative unmasking of the character. Banksy's art company, Pest Control, has been accused of defamation, according to reports from the Mail Online. And despite the commitment to being anonymous, rumors have swirled through the years as to who Banksy is, a thing we may be on the cusp of finding out. The most popular name attached to Banksy is a guy named Robin Gunningham, who just so happens to be the first defendant listed in the legal case. Gunningham has been linked to some graffiti pieces in London that appear to strongly resemble the work of Banksy. But aside from him, some other names have surfaced and been attached to Banksy through the years. First is musician Robert Del Naha of the band Massive Attack. Also a graffiti artist from Bristol, fans have matched Massive Attack tour dates with the appearance of new Banksy murals. People have too much time on their hands. (laughs) Another popular choice is the founder of the band The Gorillas. You remember them? Hey, happy feelings. Jamie Hewlett. The Evening Standard reported that an anonymous forensic expert last year reported obtained data that showed the name Jay Hewlett associated with every company that's ever been connected with Banksy. 
Richard Pfeiffer was also thought to be Banksy in 2014. He was arrested while simply looking at a Banksy piece. Imagine that. He was roughed up a bit, Jay, and he wasn't released from the charges for six months. That's when they were dropped, and poor Richard was probably not Banksy. And Jay, while most folks are sure that Banksy's a man, based on past interviews and other clues, some theories say that Banksy could actually be female. Canadian artist Chris Healy puts forward this argument in the documentary Banksy Does New York. Regardless, though, Jay, you gotta respect the hustle, right? I mean, it's not very often today that we get an anonymous public figure. Even though there's another hilarious one that uh, I've heard about through the years. A guitarist named Buckethead. You ever heard of him? (laughs) He plays guitar randomly for rock bands. He wears a mask and a KFC chicken bucket on his head. If it it didn't work, they wouldn't do it. You know, I mean, there's this power in the mystery. (laughs) One of my favorite Banksy stories of all time is that there was a piece of art attributed to Banksy that was sold at an auction, and it was huge because it was, I mean, it, it was one of his only pieces of art that went up for auction so this auction went crazy high it went over a million dollars and so finally the auction ended someone won the painting and literally within like 30 seconds of them banging the gavel and somebody winning there was a shredder attached to the bottom of the frame and the painting slowly ran through the shredder and it shredded the painting that had been bought okay now what happened though is when it was shredded, people started going crazy. Like, they were like, this is amazing art. Like, he's making statements about art. And the shredded pieces were resold for, like, double the value because it was like, it was it made it so much more valuable than it had been shredded, which is just so fantastic. Jay, I, I don't say this lightly, okay? What's wrong with people? <laughs> And that's it. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to rate, subscribe, and review Commute on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast network. We're on social. Check us out on Facebook, X, and Instagram. And you can always say what up at our website, commutethepodcast.com. Music for Commute is provided by my main man, Jason Sammons. For Jason, and I'm Dave Trump. We'll see you next week. Okay, so I found the quote. So this is from the current CEO who went to the co-founder and past CEO, and he said, quote, I came to him once and said, Jim, we can't sell this hot dog for a buck 50. We are losing our rear ends. And he said, quote, if you raise the price of that effing hot dog, I will kill you. Figure it out. <laughs> Man. So there you go. <laughs> We're a family show. Get so serious. I'll tell you what. I'll tell you who else has ridiculously low prices. Sam's Club. Yeah, I mean that's now, their we've thing. Talked about you have to on the pay show. to be in it, though. You do. We've talked and you have about to buy everything in huge bulk. You do in bulk. Yeah, you got to. If you want goldfish, you got to be <laughs> the, the carton of goldfish. You're going to be eating on that thing for months. But I used to go in there. You know, back when I had my Sam's Club membership, which I had just to be a member. There was really no reason that because I was young. I think I was in high school. I'd go in there for like lunch sometimes. Because you could get a piece of pizza, an icy, and I think even a cookie. It was like two bucks for all that. <laughs> They're losing money on that. Got to be. Well, yeah, but that's the that's the hook. The pizza, it's to get you in the door. The pizza was as big as your head. So you'll buy like a one hundred pack of bottled water, or something. and they have weird stuff in bulk. 
So it's like you bottle water, a hundred of them, that's fine. You're probably like running the little league concession stand. That makes sense. But then they'll have like measuring tape, four of them. Like who needs four <laughs> measuring tapes? 